crazy seeing all the people coming. <laughs> Good evening, everyone, and uh, welcome Nigel. to this week's Agile London. Um, hope, uh, hope everyone is good. Um, as you can see, and as you've sort of seen on the, the advertising, we've got a slightly different format this week. Um, uh, have really been quite excited about this one. Um, so, just to quickly introduce myself, my name's Alex Scriven. I work for Oliver Bernard, and as many of you on here know, have hosted Remote Agile London pretty much every Wednesday uh, since the beginning of April continuing to get uh, really great feedback and really great interest in these events. So um, firstly, thank you to everyone for joining. Um, just a couple of house rules before we, uh, we really kick off. Um, can I please ask that you all remain on mute throughout this session? Um, it really helps with the fluidity of the session and uh, allows our speakers to um, deliver the answers that we all want to hear. And as I said, this week is a bit more of a, is a bit of a different style. Uh, you know, to, to much of your joy, I'll be a little bit more involved this week and we'll be essentially having uh, a good conversation with our two speakers, Arif and Hewan. Um, I really do actively encourage questions though, and I want you all to be as involved as you possibly can. Um, I, I have sort of prepared for this and do have my questions um, ready for, for Arif and Kewen, but if you have any questions, and as I say, I really would, would, would welcome them, please privately message them to me in the chat at the bottom, and I will ask them on your behalf. So, you know, at any point throughout this session, please do um, put your questions into the chat at the bottom, and I will ask Kewen and Arif. So, um, as I said, it's been a bit, bit more of a conversational evening um, with me involved this week. Um, so I've got Arif Harbert and Kieran Mulligan, and they are the authors of the Hero Transformation book. Uh, Arif is a high-growth uh, CTO and digital leader who has helped launch and scale both startups and new businesses within public list within PLCs. His career has centered on organizations undergoing large-scale change, um, including scaling startups, virtually 100 companies, and government entities. Arif has held senior technology roles at Lloyds Banking Group, Morrisons, Booker Group, and the UK government. Um, in these roles, he's managed technology budgets of over a billion pounds, P&Ls of over 900 million, and led technology teams of over 1,000 people. Um, welcome, Arif. That's, uh, it's great to have you with us. Um, we've also got um, Kewen Mulligan. Um, Kewen is, uh, I, I know Kewen quite well, a digital transformation executive um, who has led and worked on some of the largest transformation programs in Europe over the last 15 years across TMT, online retail, gambling, banking, and government. A digital native with an engineering background, he has held transformation leadership roles in successful large-scale adoption, organization design, and digital transformations that have positively impacted thousands of people. Kewen developed his strategies for successful implementations while running his own consultancy and working with PayPal, BWIN, McKinsey Digital, Schroders, and the UK's Government Digital Service. And I hear he's also taught Arif a few things over the years. <laughs> so, very, uh, a very big welcome to you both. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, yeah. So, first off, um, how did you two meet? We, uh, we met when I was running the, the technology and digital teams for the Ministry of Justice. So it was a, a pretty large department, it's about 120,000 people. It was about a technology team was about 1,300, 1,400 people. 
uh, I, I arrived on, on the kind of role new in and I realized that the teams, whilst they were proposing to use Agile, when we had like dozens and if not hundreds of teams working all over the place, we needed some kind of scaling strategy, some way of bringing this all together coherently. I reached out to my brother. Uh, many of you might know Kareem Harbert. He, he works very much in the Scrum uh, and Agile space. He recommended Kuhn. Uh, Kuhn and his partner at the time, Steve, came in to help me. We did a kind of target operating model and tried to move the team much more towards a kind of a more productive and I guess a, a more efficient way of working and a little bit less disjointed. So, and then from there, we've spent the last five years kind of debating and talking about agile and product development and all things technology. I kind of come at it from a running large teams executive point of view. Kuhn comes at it much more from a kind of coach delivery, working on the ground with teams. And hopefully we're bringing the best together of both of those worlds. Yeah, it's been, you say talking, that was a, probably a polite version of some of the, the heated debates and arguments we've had over the, over the many, many years in, in bringing this to life. But it's, I think it's the, the combination of these two perspectives. I think sort of coming from the purest agile world, you can get caught up in a lot of the, um, the rhetoric and the books and the theory, and it sounds great. And then you're coming from the, the sort of the executive side of the equation where you're, you're under actually quite significant pressure that maybe you don't always feel or experience at the sort of the agile coach level and bringing those two worlds together has, uh, has been a really interesting journey. Sounds good. So, so you two have, um, as, as I sort of touched on, have uh, co-authored the Hero Transformation Playbook. Do you want to just let us, let us all know, you know, what that is and how it came about and give us a bit of a, an intro and a brief on it? Sure. So probably worthwhile just initially starting with the, with the word hero or the name in that. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever tried to do a startup. Getting domain names is a complete pain in the arse. And I had Hero from a, from a previous startup that I did. And what it actually used to stand for was Hypothesis Executed Results Observed. And it was a, an assessment framework that I was using for uh, my, my teams in terms of agile adoption. And so that was the, the origin of the name that we, we folded into the, the transformation framework. And what we were taking was we're trying to figure out why have some agile adoptions work while others have not. A RIF has been involved in many sort of wider organizational transformations and figuring out why they worked and didn't work. And broadly, we, you know, we started with this idea that a lot of organizations who are doing adoptions or transformations don't do sufficient time on the designing of that, and really getting to terms of what is the problem that they want to fix. And then secondly, you have a lot of organizations who are running, who use, might use PMOs or agile PMOs to do the delivery or the execution part of the transformation. Um, and they don't have a consistent methodology or framework or approach to actually do the delivery as well. So that was sort of the starting position that we had to have a, des a design phase and then a delivery phase of the actual overarching framework. I, think I don't know if you want to speak a bit more detail of either of those. I'll say a little bit was born out of frustration, wasn't it? Like we were frustrated that a lot of the books we were reading on change management and in this space were very high level. They were, they were very philosophically aligned to what we were talking about, bring people with you, make sure that change is the right thing to do. Uh, all these kind of nice, kind of a bit more esoteric or fluffy concepts, but we wanted detail. We're like, no, how do you actually do that? How do you bring people with you? How do you do the planning? How should you run this meeting? How long should it be? Who should be in it? What topics should we be talking about? And we were left wanting more and it was so frustrating. We thought, you know what? We're gonna have a go at doing this. And five years later, we were still doing it. And it's taken us a long time because when you get down to that level of detail, you have to be very opinionated. And 
then obviously if you have a lot, you talk to lots of people and takes a lot of viewpoints in, it kind of ties you in knots. And it took us a while to kind of hone in on what is actually necessary, what works in the real world, not theory. We've done this in the real world. What works in the real world and what is actually just fluff that doesn't actually serve you and trying to pair it back to that was incredibly difficult. I'm not saying we've actually achieved that, that you'll be the judge of that, but that's what we were attempting to do. Yeah, I, I can understand. So sort of what, what do you hope for the book? What, what do you see as a, as a, or what do you judge as a good outcome for this book? I'd be delighted if 1% more transformations are successful. I mean, if you read the research, somewhere between 70 and 90% of transformations fail. That's even higher when you look at agile transformations. So I'd be delighted if just a very small proportion, my high dream is more of a large proportion, but even just a small proportion of these succeed because we all know a transformation done right materially changes people's lives inside the organization. People can work better, they're happier, the company makes more money or it's more profitable or it delights its customers or whatever the objective is for the organization. Good things should happen if the transformation is done well. Um, that would be my dream for the book anyway. Yeah, I think for, for many years now as a coach and there's a few people here who've, who I've worked with and um, will, will probably have heard me say this before, but success for me in terms of any organization I go into change is, you know, would I be happy for my kids to work there? That's my measure of, of, of success of whether it's a better place to work in. And I think if you, if you just focus on the sort of the pure coachy, that can get a little bit come by, yeah, my Lord. And it's just all about everyone being happy, but it, it, that's not sustainable. It, it's got to be around you know, creating sustainable organizations, but not in a way that absolutely mullers its workforce. And so it's, it's having this sort of balanced approach and bringing, you know, I think which is the, one of the intents without getting into any of the, the frameworks or the methodologies behind Agile. That's the intent of Agile is to create a sustainable organization that can actually deliver products in a way that people are actually fulfilled. And I think that's the, where I've seen its struggle is there are methodologies or frameworks for adopting or for agile to be used, but none of them have anything for how do you adopt it? And it's sort of left to the devices of coaches trying to figure stuff out by themselves or coming in too low and not being able to sort of have a consistent methodology for the adoption phase of these things. So certainly specifically within agile and given the audience we're focusing on is how do we make more agile adoption successful, regardless of your, your, your poison of choice. So, so why, uh, I mean, I actually get asked the question quite a lot by um, more uh, junior scrum masters and agile coaches on their journey. And we, we get asked this question quite regularly on uh, Agile London um, by the audience to the speakers and ask, you know, what literature is there out there that can really help me on, your, on, on my journey within Agile? So, I mean, why... You know, why is yours different from anyone else? How different, how is it different from anyone else? And, you know, is it something that you would recommend to somebody at the early stages? Of course, I, I think, think yes. Yeah, <laughs> um, ideally, yes. But I think a yeah, lot of it, all of the above. Um, I think it depends because if you look at the responsibilities of a scrum master, they're tend to be more team focused. And that would be within an initiative or one project within a wider transformation. I think potentially if you start looking at agile coaches and senior agile coaches who are potentially responsible for the initial design and implementation of an agile adoption, then I think actually Hero is particularly useful in, in framing those conversations and allowing us to have a more successful um, 
outcome. I, I think just I'm looking at, I won't, I won't name names, but I think the person will know who I'm going to speak about, a particular client of ours years ago. Um, when I joined, I kept on asking, like, why, why are you doing this transformation? Like, what, what do you want from this? And after about four or five weeks, my, my boss took me aside and said, um, you really need to stop asking that question. I'm like, okay, but can I ask why? He goes, well, it's a good question and we probably should have asked it at the start of the change, but now you're making me look foolish and you need to stop. And I think that's, you know, Riff was talking about the frustration. That, that is, the, the, you know, the sort of a lot of the energy that's been put into this book is saying, how do we stop those conversations and actually set off on the right foot when we do these, you know, often multi-million dollar um, cost profiles in terms of agile adoptions, let alone the disruption to people's jobs and careers. And it's just not done particularly well. I think, I think the two things that I, I think are a, a little different in terms of other things that we've looked at is it's this merging of the kind of practitioner led team level approach with the more senior executive to, um, kind of methodologies and trying to bring those together the best of both worlds you can have this oh well, why do i need to do a business case oh i just need to just do experimentation and the other hand you've got someone saying well just hit your business case and you can try and bring these together in a pragmatic way where you need both sides you need people who are sponsoring signing off money who are unblocking the organization and you need people who can actually deliver get out of their way just give high performing teams the opportunity to deliver you need both these parts of the puzzle so I think for me, one of the biggest things we've come up with is this sense of what we call dual accountability. Um, I've seen this. I've been guilty of it at times. As, a, as, a, as the kind of governing team over a transformation, you're constantly telling your teams, deliver. Why is it red? Do more. Do faster. Go do better. And the teams who are delivering, but they're saying, well, I would if you would just change X, Y and Z. Maybe it's meeting rooms. Maybe it's people not turning up to meetings. Maybe it's more budget. Maybe it's a process that needs to change. Maybe you need to change the way hiring or finance is accounted, whatever it might be. So we've got this sense of what we're calling two-way accountability, where it's absolutely for the leadership to say, are we on track? Are we going to hit our benefits case? How are we doing on the money? But it's equally important for the teams to be able to hold leadership accountable to say, I will do all of those things, but you need to help me because the delivery of value has been blocked. It's outside of my control. I don't have the authority to do it. As the leadership team, you have to do this for me. So I think having those two pieces is quite unique. I've not come across something like that before. Such common sense, right? I mean, this is not brain surgery. This is such common sense that if a team gets blocked, hitting them with a big stick makes no sense. Zero sense. But we all do it. We've all seen it. Every single one of you would have seen this. It doesn't matter that's, if it's nonsense. That's not include me in that we, by the way. That was you. <laughs> we've, all, we've all seen it or, or done it or been part of it, whatever it might be. So I think that's the first thing. I think the second thing for me is it's very value focused. Agile is very important. I've been doing Agile since I was a developer in 1999, even before Agile as a kind of philosophy came out. It's just common sense, right? A lot of the principles. So I'm a big advocate. However, you have to be clear if you're spending the organization's money to do something, build a product, do an agile transformation, scale your team, whatever it might be, the flip side of that is you have to deliver some value back to the organization. It might be efficiency, you're doing things faster. It might be quality, um, you're delivering things better. It could be that you're going to make more money because it's going to generate more sales, a feature development. So it's, it's having that real focus on tying everything you do back to value somehow. And you know what? If you do that, you're much more likely to get your own way. It's much easier to say, hey, can I have this resource or can I have a meeting room? And by the way, that will deliver $2 million worth of value. Oh, OK, well, that's a no brainer. As opposed to please can I have a meeting room. Why? 
and then you don't really like to get it. If you can tie things back to value, you're much more likely to get what you want and you're much more likely to deliver successfully. So, I mean, you've, you've, you've touched on, I mean, how do you both define a transformation? I mean, that, that, that's the, that's the, that's a big question, isn't it? I mean, what we found was there's no kind of clear definition of transformation. So we tried to come up with one and it's a bit of a mouthful. So, so kind of bear with me and I'll, I'll, I'll touch on a couple of points. I'm sure Kuhn, you'll dive in. But we define a transformation as a large change program initiated due to a dissatisfaction with current business results that cannot be rectified through business as usual, which has a positive material impact on enterprise value. Okay, that's, that's a really long sentence, but in essence, there's four parts. It's a large scale change program. It's a big change. It's not a, oh, I want to increase sales 1%. It has to be a big change. The second thing is, it's usually initiated because you've got a dissatisfaction with your current business results. Your profits are too low, your costs are too high, uh, your customers are unhappy. It can't be delivered through business as usual. So you can't just have your existing teams do it. You have to create a temporary separate structure and it has to have a positive material impact on enterprise value, which is a fancy way of saying the organization value that the kind of valuation of the company the return you're generating should be big, bigger than the amount of money you're spending. If you're spending 10 million, you should be delivering 30, 40, 50, 100 million pounds worth of value. So that's what we think of transformation is. Just on that last point, actually, which I think is really important, it'd be interesting to do. I don't know whether you have a poll option on this Zoom call this evening, but the amount of money that I've seen spent on agile adoptions in particular, and it's been mainly focused about does the model get adopted with the assumption that that's going to give me some value rather than it being explicitly about value? Um, we've seen, uh, I know actually, and I will call them out, Nigel, myself and Nigel worked on an account years ago where actually there was a centralized team that was procuring environments for teams that had a massive lead time. And it would have been far cheaper and more impactful if they just gave, either hired more people into that team or disbanded that team and put, it, put one of those people in every of the delivery teams, it would have actually had a lot more value and impact to the company, but they were quite militant about, no, the value was the adoption of the model. And I think their actual promotion and rhetoric was we're the fastest adoption of safe in the world. It was like, who cares? That's not, that is not what success should be. Um, you could argue that they, caught, they spent a lot of money, productivity went down, time to market went down, um, and yet they call it a success. So I think for us, it's really getting militant about value and the impact that we're having. Um, I think also often as well, where we've been, you know, for the last sort of three years, myself and Riff have been um, building teams and building companies, not just sort of coaching them from the outside. And when you're actually on the hook for delivering value, one of the changes I've noticed over the last three years is a lot of agile coaches are not held accountable for the delivery of value. And actually, I think our jobs would be a lot better if we were because we would actually have authority to do something and say, well, going back to risk point saying, well, you want me to deliver this thing, but you won't change this thing. And so it's, if you can have those conversations and we are held accountable, but we have the authority or the influence to change things, then I think we can have a bigger impact in the companies that we work for. Yeah, I think yeah, I get one more thing, sorry, one more thing on that, just I think it's really, really useful. Is we, we built a team, a uh, software delivery product team, from scratch in, in, in the role we're currently in, we, we went from zero to 40 people in, in a few months. And the reason we were very successful, I mean, I'd love to say it was our skill and our ability, but I don't think that was the case. That was a very small part to play. What was really 
useful or really valuable was the organization we worked in was incredibly flexible about how we worked. We changed finance process. We changed HR and hiring processes. We changed security processes. We changed budget processes. The organization that we're currently working in is set up for the delivery of value. It's not set up for the adherence to a process. And everyone from back office to front office is there for the delivery of client value. And we were astonished. I mean, I've never, I mean, when I was in government, God tried changing the, the kind of budget process there. I mean, that's a, that's a thousand year endeavor. It was, it was so surprising how quickly you can move when everyone is aligned to this common goal and when people are flexible enough to be able to change their processes. Um, and it took some education and we hit some roadblocks and we had to spend time explaining why we needed the budget process to change, why it was not reasonable to predict software delivery three years in advance. What's your roadmap and budget for the next three years? I make it up, but you know what? It's going to change. And is that OK? Well, OK, so long as you tell us in good time. Yes. OK, great. I'm, I'm very happy to be held accountable to that. So long as you know that I'm guessing and every month I go further in, it's less of a guess and I've got more certainty. So you can really, really move mountains when the organization is, is a little bit more flexible and, and kind of organized around this delivery of value. Sorry, Alex. No, no, I was just going to say, yeah, it's just the old adage of everyone pulling in the same direction and sort of really working towards one common goal. It's, yeah. um, I guess in any sort of walk of life, anything you do, that is the, the best way for an organization, large or small, of individuals to work. So, so tell me, how does, how does um, Agile fit with Hero, or, or does it? Yeah, I mean, it's a big, it depends what we mean by the word Agile. I'm, I'm going to choose to interpret it in the adoption of Agile as a significant impact on the organization. You're not talking at you know, one or two teams. You're talking at significant change to how an organization runs. Um, I think most Agile adoptions are not uber clear on the impact that they want to have. And then cherry picking the bits from particular methodologies or frameworks that's going to have the biggest impact possible. So I think if you look at the earlier part of our, our framework around designing and using those steps, it becomes and facilitates the appropriate and better designing of the adoption of, of any agile transformation. Okay. And then, so there's, a, there's multiple frameworks that I'm aware of and, uh, and um, that, that are in the sort of community. Um, does it work? Is it, Sort of cross framework does it work with all the frameworks you know safe and less etc yeah we yeah i mean sorry Rich, do you want to go? i was gonna say we we've look it's, it's it's like religion to some people like whether we use safe or less or dad or scrum or kanban and we've stayed well out of that like well out of that because you will choose a methodology for delivering software or delivering products that you think is appropriate to your organization. And you know what, you're probably right. We're not gonna write a better framework for that. These frameworks, there's many frameworks out there that are amazing and we're not gonna better them. Ours is much more about how do you run a large scale transformation? Remember a lot of these frameworks are designed for perhaps one or two teams. Remember a transformation is a large scale change product, uh, sorry, change program. So we kind of tried to take this upper level to say, if you're going to do the adoption of Agile, why are you doing it? What's it going to deliver to the organization? How should you be reporting? How should you be doing your business cases? Um, how should you keep stakeholders engaged? How should the teams be governing themselves? What should those governance meetings look like? At the day-to-day -day team level, use whatever methodology you think is appropriate to you. So this is kind of like a taking a step up. Remember, this is kind of exec plus Agile. We're trying to kind of take it a little level up. 
um, because you kind of need that flexible framework to which to run in, in some things that are less certain. And if you're building a bridge or if you're moving buildings, that's a lot of certainty. Software delivery is inherently uncertain. So you need a kind of more flexible framework from which to use and adopt. Although, what would you say? Anything else to add on that, Kuhn? Yeah, I think there's, there's two parts to that. I think the, the part that Arif talked, which is about the adoption of Agile, but then within Hero, when you're delivering one of the projects, we quite, we quite often see the initiatives of projects being product delivery related. Obviously, Agile rears its head there again in terms of you know, whether you're going to use less uh, safe nexus, whatever the, the framework you want. But by having this dual accountability mechanism wrapped around your product delivery, you end up, you, you have a formal channel, which again, most of the frameworks do have some form of escalation, but it tends to get left off. And this is formalized, this is a non-negotiable part of our model where you, you, you need to have this accountability feedback where the people who are responsible for delivering the value have the ability to hold the people who can change the organization accountable for actually changing it, which, you know, as again, it's eminently sensible and common sense, but it, it's very rare to see it. Um, oh, just one thing, actually, I, I tried to share my screen to show the framework. I just sent you an email because you, you disabled sh screen sharing, but I don't know where you, you want to put that up because I, I realize we're talking about something that, you know, it might be useful for people just to bring it to life. You're good to go. I've just, uh, I've just given you the access, Kieran, no problem. Um, feel free to, uh, yeah, there you go. Anything more you want to say on that? Yeah, we can um, see. If everybody can see that, I'll just sort of talk very briefly about it. So the, the orange section is all around transformation design. So step one is very getting very, very clear on what outcome you're doing. We then have a second phase, which is around generating what we call an enterprise map, loosely based on uh, value stream mapping, understanding the current performance of the organization. This allows you then to figure out, you know, we, we've worked with some massive organizations. You just don't have the time to interview everybody and really get that, that basis understanding doing targeted analysis to close some of the gaps on that, then building your transformation plan. So this is like your initial set of initiatives that are gonna help you deliver the, the outcome. So some of the transformations we work on, for example, we, we worked with a, a charity in, in, in England, which uh, currently helps about two and a half thousand children a year, and they wanted to transform to be able to impact 11 and a half thousand children a year. So figuring out what were they gonna do what were the initiatives, the projects they had to do in order to get that extra 7,000 children helped and supported in, a, in an annual basis. Um, and then you have initiation. So initiation is basically where you're going, getting formal board approval, appointing the initial roles, and most importantly, putting in some form of metric tracking capability. Because most organizations don't actually know their current performance and they don't know how to measure it properly. And therefore, if you're gonna try and shift things, how can you actually say whether you're getting better, worse, or indifferent? And it's just having that, certainly as external consultants, having that sort of protection to say, hey, things are getting better or things are not getting better, and why? Um, Riv, I don't know if you want to speak a bit about delivery. I mean, delivery is, is pretty straightforward. We haven't veered too far from kind of normal best practice. The transformation is split into work streams, kind of logical groupings of, of initiatives. It's managed via a transformation Kanban, so people can see very visibly the work to be done and the progress and the state of each of them. Um, initiatives are projects and they move through a process of being delivered. Each one of them has to tie back to the transformation outcome. Remember, tying everything you do back to the delivery of value. When it's delivered, it is done and it kind of increments towards your where you're trying to go. We, we have a couple of kind of key governance forums uh, one is called the Transformation Accountability Meeting. 
the TAM. Um, that's the most senior governance forum in the transformation. It's led by the transformation lead. All of the kind of key governing people are in it, the work stream leads, uh, the board or stakeholders, senior stakeholders are there. And it's the, the one meeting that this transformation lead uses to kind of steer the transformation. Are we on track? Does our business case still stack up? Has anything materially changed? Remember, everything we've said in design is a guess. It's an educated guess, but it will change. So does the transformation case still stack up? If it doesn't, should we stop? That's a good outcome. Let's not spend, let's not fall into the sunk cost fallacy of spending 100 million, even though we know it's not going to deliver anything. Let's early reassess and whether it actually still makes sense to do so. So it's a, it's a very senior meeting to steer the transformation. The other one is the Workstream Accountability Meeting, the WAM. That's at a Workstream level. It's much more focused around delivery. All of the initiatives and projects that I'm running, how are they doing? What am I learning? Uh, do we, can we do anything better? Um, am I blocked? Do I need to raise blockers to the transformation lead? Uh, that kind of moves on to the next point, which is the blockers backlog. Remember the two-way accountability, that's where this is tracked. If you raise something that is blocking the delivery of value, it goes on to the blockers backlog. And that is the transformations lead's highest priority to unblock the delivery of value. Uh, and at the transformation accountability meeting, all of the workstream leads will be saying to the transformation lead, hey, we're still blocked. What are you doing about it? Remember the two-way accountability, both up and down. Um, again, you can use any methodology you want there. Um, we, we don't really have a strong preference. We have some principles that we think you should adhere to, but all of the people we're preaching to the converted on, on this call, at least. Sometimes when we go into organizations, they've never heard of Agile. Um, isn't it that heretic thing where you just guess and make everything up? We have to educate them, but for obviously this audience, we, uh, we don't need to do that. So I've had a question come in. Um, the question is, in the design stage, there is a transformation plan. That plan looks a little like a classic waterfall Gantt chart. How do you square the circle of delivering such a complex objective with such a complicated waterfall style artifact, such as an old school plan? Surely you can't achieve agile using waterfall processes. Well, I, I, I personally would disagree. And, and this is something I talk to executive and leadership teams all the time. So you can have a plan. You can have a very detailed plan. You know that it's wrong. You, you can't see the future, especially if you're at day zero. You know you're going to get a lot more information throughout the process. But it's really important to do the work at the start. If you cannot make a business case stack up, which is, look, let's be honest, a lot of it's completely made up. If you can't make that stack up, why do you think it's suddenly going to stack up when you go into delivery? So the transformation plan is our best guess based on the best analysis we can do, knowing that we can't see the future, knowing that we're going to be wrong. It's our best guess to try and make it stack up. And you know what? Doing business cases are really important. If you want to get sign off from executives and private equity houses and your investors and your board and analysts, the kind of people that I would have to deal with when I'm facing off to try and spend money, it's really important to have a well thought through business case. The flip side is, you don't want to be held accountable to it to the letter of the law. Like you can't say, well, five years ago you did that business case. Well, why haven't you delivered? So I think you can have that detailed plan. You can have that detailed waterfall. So long as at every transformation accountability meeting, which is monthly, you're reassessing it. You're saying, well, we thought we were going to get 10 million. Now we're going to get 5 million. Whoops. That's a big problem. That's a big hole. What should we do about it? Much better to know that you're off track. Uh, and do something about it rather than kind of just guess would be my view. I don't know if that's actually answering the question. Kun, have you got any points of view on that? Yeah, um, I just want to change the share. Can you see my, my, my screen now? Yeah. So the actual visualization in the chart maps out to this software that we also go with the framework. So 
if you look at this, this is a, a, a model of a transformation we did that was taking, the basically was a cost reduction of 16.5 million pounds out of a company's operating budgets. And each of these boxes um, relates to a particular project or a pro uh, initiative within the program. So this visualization, I think someone referred to as a waterfall, we call this the bridge, which shows you across each work stream, how are you gonna get to your overarching goal? So you can see here, we've, we've got nearly a, a million dollars under, under, um, under our targets. And you can very easily just quickly change this across different visualizations, different countries, and seeing where your problems are. So the, the visualization here is purely about understanding how are you get, getting from A to B within your transformation. So what we just, you know, the scope of most transformations, even if you're doing a pure agile transformation, if you sit down and actually understand what, pro, what problem you're trying to fix, it tends to go much broader than just the software delivery teams. So having these sorts of visualizations and understanding what do we need to change in HR? What do we need to change in, in legal? What do we need to change in other parts of the organization in different countries, different regions? This visualization helps bring people on that journey so they can understand it in, a, in an easy to digest way. So, um, help me, you know, I've got a, a much more uneducated mind than yours. Are all agile adoptions a transformation? And, and then off the back of that, how can Hero help in, in agile adoptions? Sorry, can you say that again, Alex? I didn't quite hear that. Sorry, yeah, sorry. I just, I just is my audio good now? Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, um, you know, I, I, I lack the uh, the knowledge that you two have in this. So, um, I mean, tell me uh, in more detail: are, are all agile adoptions a, a transformation? And, you know, then off the back of that, how how can Hero help in in agile adoptions? Um, I believe they could be. Um, obviously, a lot of it depends on the size and the scale. If you're, if you're looking at doing this sort of one or two teams just to improve your product delivery, you know, I don't think so. If you look at our definition of, of a transformation, it's something that has to materially change the value of the organization. And it's not something that you can do with your basically incumbent workforce. So if you've got to do an agile adoption where you're fundamentally changing the, the way you work, you're bringing in a lot of external experts that, like we, we have on the course today, that sort of smells very much of a transformation, a significant investment. You're talking millions of dollars. I definitely think you should have the rigor around that to appropriately spend that money and to make sure that we're getting a, you know, a disproportional return on that investment. I think you know, some of the, 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 um, the transformations I've been involved with from people on the call here, sort of five, $10 million a year. I mean, that's not, that's not chunk change and that should be generating 50, $100 million worth of value. Otherwise, you shouldn't really necessarily be doing it because it's too high risk. You know, agile adoptions are not guaranteed. It's, it's, a, it's a bumpy road. It's challenging. It's expensive. Um, and it, it's full of risks. And so we want to be making sure that the, the reward upside is disproportional to the cost profile of it. Yeah, I mean, just one other thing to add on that. I think I totally agree with all of that. I think one of the big things for me is, if nothing else, if you took nothing else from this framework at all, it's very, very clear what it is you're trying to achieve. And that should be some kind of value to the organization. So it, we went into a very large investment bank, like multi-billion dollar investment bank, and they'd spend, I think, 30 or 40 million on their agile adoption. Um, and we went in six months later and they said, look, you know what's well, not working, it's not working. We're under pressure. We need some help. Well, okay, fine. No problem. We can help you. What are you trying to do? 
And they're like, we're trying to make things better. Great objective. What does that mean? They have no idea. So they're spending money. God, goodness knows who signed off that business case, but they're spending money. They have no idea what they're doing. The organization obviously doesn't understand it. The teams don't understand it. The leaders and executives don't understand it. Of course, that's going to be a failure. I mean, what else could it be? So if you did nothing else, you just got really clear. And all we did is help them. It took us half a day. It's not even hard, right? Anyone on this call could do it. So what are you trying to do? And actually what they were trying to do is they worked out that the software quality was not good enough. They had to improve the quality because the team, the investment bankers using the software were getting really antsy. The bugs, they were losing trades, they were losing money. That's really quantifiable. Now we can do something. Now we can work out what's the biggest impact initiatives that we can do to improve quality. Very clear now. Everyone's really clear. And even better, we got them to a point where well, where is your quality now and where do you want to get to? And then everything from that can flow. If that's the only thing you took from this framework, I'd, I'd be personally be delighted. So what software should you use to, to manage a, a transformation? Strange you asked that. No. <laughs> not, not Excel. Let's just say that. I mean, we, we see, I mean, look, we're dealing with transformations typically that are in the tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. And we see a lot of big consulting houses spending, let's just say, two to six percent of the budget on Excel. It's taking easy maths, a hundred million pounds you're talking 2 million to 6 million spent on managing Excel, um, which is just complete madness. So, I mean, you could do anything. Obviously. What's the stats for, I think we're sort of, some of the, the anecdotal research we're seeing at the moment is that around six to 7%, maybe even higher of, of transformation budgets are spent on the administrative side of it. So yeah. that's literally, you're spending millions of dollars on some of these very large transformations on people updating Excel because it's not centralized. So the administration of exporting that data to generate PowerPoint reports for all the governance meetings. Um, and it's, you know, it, unfortunately it, it heavily suffers from what we call watermelon reporting where it's artificially green, but it's really red on the inside. And, you know, you, you're getting all this, you know, very poor data going up to management trying to make some really big decisions. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it needs to change. Yeah. So another question has just come in. Um, Providing value is great and makes a lot of sense. How do you estimate value and or risk for effects which are very hard to quantify? Let's say employee retention. If a company has a high value, uh, a high employee churn, what are the costs, risks and benefits associated? And how do you quantify the status quo versus the desired outcome? Well, I mean, this, the simplest thing to do in that instance, I would say, is say your churn is 20% making it up uh, and you want to get it to 10%. That for me is, is, is kind of good enough in the first instance to understand where you are and where you want to go. But then obviously, as, as the, the person who's asking the question very astutely mentions, is how do you actually tie that back to some kind of value? Uh, how do you actually work out the monetary benefit of that? Now, obviously, that's where you need some kind of attribution model. But just off the top of my head, you can work out the cost of, well, how much we pay into recruitment companies or, or retainers or uh, kind of entry fees for for the 20% of people you can work out how long typically someone takes to get up to speed obviously there's a curve isn't there someone comes in they're actually value destructive because they're learning they don't know what they're doing it takes other people's time you can kind of work that out as well um, you can work out um, the kind of negative sentiment of people leaving don't underestimate that someone leaves under a cloud they go on Glassdoor or Facebook this company's rubbish maybe customers see that so you can quantify some kind of reputational damage you can quantify the disruption to the team. If you're a team of 10 people and five leave, 
that's a big disruption to your delivery. So I think it depends who's leaving and why they're leaving. But I think there's always a way to find some kind of attribution model back to value in some instances. Again, I can't to this specific case, but there's a few stuff top of my head. I mean, I mean, sort of a, a slight parody of the five whys, I, I would be asking the question, so what? So what if you have a 20% churn? What's the risk? What's the, what's the impact of that? So it's trying to drive whatever the starting conversation is into a true impact. If you've got a, if you've got a churn rate of 20% without, and you're basically only hiring 2%, you're probably not going to have a workforce within a year. So that's complete company destruction. That's a pretty big motivational factor. So I think you need to take it, you know, evolve the conversation a little bit back to the, well, what's the impact of what that thing you're talking about? Because it's a great question. and It, it tends to be where people sort of start, but I think you want to scratch a little bit deeper on it and understand the impact of what that is. And if that's the actual thing you want to change or not. That's a good question. Thank you. Um, again, if anybody else does have some more questions, um, do, do keep them coming. So, on the, the wider picture here, um, possibly away from software development, um, can, you, can your book uh, be used for more than just Agile? You know, is there a, a bigger picture, a bigger message um, sent out here from this book? I mean, from, from my perspective, where, where the kind of transformations that we typically do, it, it, it usually falls into kind of a few camps. It's usually cost reduction, especially in kind of COVID times. People are controlling what they can control. They can't control uh, things like when we're back on the high street, what will happen with the economy? Will my customers come back to work? In which case they'll be buying preps or whatever it is. They're controlling the things they can control, like cost. Cost is something very controllable. So we see a lot of cost takeout at the moment. Um, so obviously that the transformation framework could help with cost takeout. Um, customer satisfaction is another big one. So we have a low number of customer satisfaction, NPS score maybe, or EMPS if it's employee net, net promoter score. Um, we want to improve that. That's another way uh, we typically see large transformations do. And then there's obvious ones around sales and profit. So we want to increase our sales by opening new markets or getting more market share in the markets that we're in. Or we want to get my profit by a combination of sales and cost or whatever it might be. So yes, this is absolutely beyond software delivery. It's just that we're passionate about software and we're software people, uh, we're product and agile people. So obviously that's, that's, that's where a lot of our grounding and our, and our heritage came from, but now it can absolutely be used in other types of transformation. It's just that we're more akin and knowledgeable in, in software delivery. June, do you have any more to add to that? Um, no, not, not really. I mean, we tried to not tie the framework to any particular solution. So, in the same way, you know, even though everybody here is, is involved in Agile, at some level, everybody here is also a change agent. You're bringing around change inside an organization. And while you may have more experience with um, product delivery or software teams, a lot of your skills are translatable to other industries. So you may not, there may be a learning curve, but you can, you can lift and shift a lot of that experience into other areas. And in the same way, I think the framework is, is agnostic to the type of transformation um, as long as the transformation is directly attributable to some sense of value. Fantastic. Um, so we're actually um, on fairly limited times uh, sort of frames this evening. Um, I have come to the end of my questioning. Um, so how can uh, how can people on this call find out more? 
Um, obviously, we're happy to share our email addresses, no problem. Um, but herotransformation.com is our website. Uh, it is a prototype. Um, it is not the finished article, so don't judge us too much. Uh, we had to put it up very quickly for the book launch, which is coming out on the 22nd of September. Um, so it will get better. Uh, but that's the best way to contact us. Have a little look. There's some downloadable uh, references there as well, if you want to have a look at it. Um, but yeah, best thing to do is email us if you have questions, LinkedIn, um, Twitter, email, all of the above. We're, we're available. We're happy, really happy to debate and talk about these things. It's our passion. We love it. We'll talk to anyone about these topics all day if you want to. I'm sure you won't want to, but if you wanted to. Yeah. The one thing I'd add also is um, anybody who thinks they have a, a book inside of them, think very, very, very long hard before you undertake that journey. It's uh, maybe a conversation for another time. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a really long, 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 long journey. Very long and more and more and more, and it takes forever. But uh, please go I ahead. I used to have hair when I started. That's uh, how long. <laughs> So we've actually got three minutes left. Another question's come in and then we will have to wrap up. Um, so just be mindful of your answers. Um, unfortunately, you might have to uh, almost time box you. Um, given that only 50% of Fortune 500 companies are forecast to still be around in 10 years' time, isn't a tipping point slash driver to engage in transformation? Yes. 100% answer. <laughs> Transformation is going to be one of the core capabilities of all organizations and COVID has just shown that, right? The, company, the companies that were agile enough or to transform and kind of be nimble enough to transform either their operating processes, their propositions, their employees, their workplaces, their practices, processes, they're the ones that are going to survive. Uh, I think I'd also say, you know, in terms of the audience, I mean, I, I was a contractor for nearly 20 years and I've been permanent for the last sort of two years. With the COVID lockdown, that that changed everybody's life in terms of where you had to do where you put on furlough. You know, a lot of jobs were stopped, and I think you know one of the the hopes is also that people will you know people themselves as individuals, not just the big companies, are going to have to change and pivot into how they offer, be very creative in how they do that. So I think that one you know, one of the sort of a selfish aspiration is that people in the agile community might start looking to Hero as a way to diversify in terms of what they do, because I think a lot of people in the community have phenomenal skills that can be utilized in slightly other areas rather than just pure agile transformations. Perfect. Um, and that draws us to a close. I just want to say, Arif, Kieran, thank you so much for um, joining us tonight and being part of a, of a really sort of conversational um, agile London. Um, it's been Fantastic, and would love to have you back again in the not so distant future to give us a bit of an update on how everything is going. Um, so, just to you both, thank you so much. We, I really, really appreciate it. Thank you very much to our audience for joining us tonight. Make sure you do all go and check out the Hero Transformation Playbook. Um, it's uh, well worth exploring, especially by the sound of things this evening. So, and I'm sure very much um, that Arif and Kuhn would be happy to continue conversations with you all if you do reach out to them on on LinkedIn. Again, as I say, just from, from myself, thank you to everyone who gets involved continuously uh, week in, week out on these. They wouldn't happen um, without all of us pulling in the same direction to make them happen. So um, I do really, really appreciate it. So thank you very much to everyone. Arif, Kieran, once more time, uh, thank you very much indeed. Make sure you check out the Hero Transformation Playbook and I wish you all a lovely evening. Thanks for having us. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. See you later. See you later. Bye.